0: Russia's invasion in Ukraine is prompting military spending boosts in the West. But questions rise over whether the war in Ukraine will shift focus away from the threat to Taiwan. To counter China, Americans must reconstruct their frame of thought. A former NATO chair breaks it down. Five more Chinese companies added to a U.S. blacklist that's for their support of the Russian military. A U.S. hypersonic missile fails a test in Hawaii. At the same time, China and Russia are boosting their own weapons development. Now some are asking, is the U.S. lagging behind? And will China stick to its zero-COVID-19 policy? News reports and a statement from China's Communist Party leader may hint at the future. Welcome to China in Focus. I'm Don Ma sitting in for Tiffany today. Terrorism is topping the agenda at the final day of the NATO summit. China garnered some attention with a tricky balancing act in place, but the whole summit is dominated by Ukraine war. Here's more. Leaders of
1: NATO countries met for the final day of the summit in Madrid on Thursday, with tactics for countering terrorism high on the agenda.
2: Today we will discuss how NATO can address the causes of instability, and step up our efforts in the fight against terrorism."
1: Discussion during the two-day summit was dominated by Russia's invasion of Ukraine. NATO, making up the world's largest military alliance, pledged to increase combat forces along its eastern flank sevenfold from next year. That's to defend against any possible Russian attacks. On Wednesday, NATO labeled Russia as the most significant and direct threat to the Allies' security. But the nation wasn't the only topic of discussion. It also redefined its stance on China, calling the country a challenge for the first time in the summit statement. Russia's invasion seems to have spurred defence building reactions from a number of nations. UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson said on Thursday that the country will boost its defence spending.
2: And the logical conclusion of the investments on which uh, we propose to embark, uh, of these decisions, is that we'll reach 2.5% of GDP on defence by the end of the decade.
1: That's after Germany, another major U.S. ally in Europe, did the same earlier this year. The country said it would sharply increase its defense spending to more than 2 percent of its GDP. That's up from a low of 1.4 percent back in 2020. In comparison, the U.S. dedicated 3.7 percent of its GDP to military spending in the same year, topping the list for the highest defense budget among major democratic countries. Prime Minister Johnson also highlighted the West's main predicament when it comes to communist China.
2: Uh, It's very important that we uh, remember that we have to, uh, we have a huge economic relationship with China. So does every every country around that table. America's got a gigantic free trade deal uh, with China. But at the same time, we've got to understand that there are areas in which uh, we need to uh, compete, uh, contest and uh, sometimes challenge what China is up to.
1: Johnson added that the West needs to ensure balance in its dealings with China and remains willing to stand up to Beijing when necessary.
0: Beijing responded to NATO depicting China as a concern, accusing NATO of being full of Cold War thinking and ideological prejudice. A spokesman for Beijing described China's military development as normal. British Foreign Secretary Liz Truss is speaking out on China during the NATO summit in Madrid She warned the Chinese Communist Party not to invade Taiwan and urged the West not to become strategically dependent on China. Here's more from NTD's Eddie Acton.
2: Foreign Secretary Liz Truss has issued a warning to China that any attempt to invade Taiwan would be a catastrophic miscalculation. Speaking at the NATO summit in Madrid, Truss said Beijing was in danger of making the same mistake that Russia made in Ukraine.
3: We need to think very carefully about the messages we're sending to President Xi. We've seen increased collaboration between Russia and China, and we know that China is watching Ukraine closely.
2: Truss reiterated her call for Western allies to arm the self-governing island, which China has long claimed, to ensure it has the means to defend itself in the event of an attack.
3: I do think that with China extending its influence through economic coercion, and building a capable military, there is a real risk that they draw the wrong idea, which results in a catastrophic miscalculation, such as invading Taiwan. And that is exactly what we saw in the case of Ukraine, a strategic miscalculation by Putin. So this is why it's so important that the free world work together to help uh, ensure that Taiwan is able to defend itself and to stress the importance of peace and stability across the Taiwan states.
2: Taiwan has been self-governing since nationalist forces fled there in 1949, after the communists took control of China. She said Western nations need to develop economic alternatives to China to ensure they do not become dependent on the way some countries are
0: on Russian oil and gas. Eddie Aitken, NTD News. A spokesman for China's foreign ministry responded on Thursday, saying the British foreign secretary's remark lack basic common sense. He reiterated China's stance that Taiwan is part of China and accused trust of self-righteousness. The U.S. is accusing five Chinese companies of supporting Russia's military and violating sanctions against Russia. The Commerce Department added the five companies to its blacklist on Tuesday. The U.S. said their support to Russia was contrary to U.S. national security and foreign policy interests. Worth noting, though, Washington has not accused the Chinese Communist regime of violating the same sanctions. U.S. officials say that so far, Beijing has been complying with the sanctions imposed on Moscow back in February. U.S. Secretary of Commerce Gina Raimondo issued a warning in March saying Chinese companies that defy U.S. restrictions on Russia could effectively be shut down. On Wednesday, the Chinese embassy in Washington said energy and trade cooperations between Russia and China remain normal. The embassy added that Beijing could take necessary measures to safeguard the rights of these Chinese companies. Next, we head to the Pacific Ocean. A U.S. hypersonic missile failed there during its Wednesday test launch in Hawaii. Bloomberg reported that the misfire was due to a malfunction after the missile's ignition. Pentagon spokesman Tim Gorman also mentioned the incident briefly saying that anomaly occurred following the ignition of the test asset. The Pentagon added that the department was unable to collect data on the entirety of the planned flight profile. Concerns have been on the rise over the somewhat stumbling development of the U.S. hypersonic weapons. Wednesday's setback follows another one in October of last year involving a booster rocket. On the other hand, China and Russia are investing heavily in the same field, Russia has also used its hypersonic air-to-ground missiles during its invasion of Ukraine. For China, successful hypersonic missile flights totaled over 25,000 miles in more than 100 minutes last year. Even North Korea has launched two hypersonic missile systems, with flights topping several hundred miles. Hypersonic weapons are designed to evade conventional missile defense systems, and these weapons can even carry nuclear warheads. The man credited with transforming Hong Kong from a politically free global hub to one that is tightly grasped by the Communist Party is paying a visit. Chinese Communist Party leader Xi Jinping is in Hong Kong celebrating the day that started it all. NTD's Chen Wu has the story. Chinese regime leader Xi Jinping arrived
4: in Hong Kong Thursday, one day ahead of the 25th anniversary of the city's handover from Britain to China. This is his first trip outside mainland China since the pandemic began more than two years ago. Since Britain returned the territory to Chinese rule in 1997, Hong Kong has been a special region that is governed separately from the rest of China. But the Chinese Communist Party eroded that distinction. In the past two decades, Beijing reshaped Hong Kong. Cracking down on protests, silencing dissent, integrating party loyalty into the education system and revamping election laws to remove opposition. The changes have driven many residents away. Population decline in Hong Kong is at its highest in decades. The city lost nearly 90,000 residents in 2020. This year, more than 100,000 people left in February and March during the city's worst COVID-19 wave. Beijing maintains that China's ruling has restored stability to Hong Kong, following mass pro-democracy protests in 2019. But for many in the U.S. and other democratic nations, the communist regime has undermined the freedoms that made it an international finance hub. In apparent reference to the earlier protests, Xi Jinping said on his arrival that Hong Kong has overcome many challenges over the years, saying the city's been reborn from the ashes with vigorous vitality. While tens of thousands of protesters marched during Xi's visit five years ago, no protests are expected this year. Chenny Wu, NTD News.
0: China is holding firm to its zero-COVID-19 policy. Chinese Communist Party head Xi Jinping said Tuesday that China will stick with the strategy even if it means a temporary economic setback. He made the comment during a visit to Wuhan, the original epicenter of the first COVID-19 outbreak in 2020. Some of the first documented cases of the infection were found at a wet market in the city. Xi Jinping also called the idea of coexisting with the virus through vaccinations and herd immunity disastrous for China. China's zero-COVID-19 policy aims to cut off the spread of the virus completely... through confining people to their homes, mass virus testing for residents, closing schools and shops, and suspending public transportation. The day before Xi Jinping's speech, news about the policy triggered alarm bells in Beijing. It all started with an announcement on Monday that the zero-COVID-19 policy could last five more years. State media outlet Beijing Daily first published it, citing an official. Though the newspaper later removed the five-year time reference, the outlet's president responded to questions later, claiming the incident on a staff mistake. But some have taken issue with the explanation. That's because another state media, called Beijing Satellite TV, also reported that the policy could last five years. A related hashtag was viewed nearly a million times on Chinese social media before it was removed. And here to shed more light on the NATO meeting is Mary Beth Long, former chair of NATO's high-level group. To counter China, she talked about changing the frame of mind in the West. This refers to the definition of a war, but also to the divisiveness inside the U.S. Our own Tiffany Myers sat down with Mary Beth in D.C. at the International Religious Freedom Summit 2022. Here's more.
5: In terms of these Pacific nations, you mentioned non-military. For instance, we have the Five Eyes, which is solely intelligence. And then in terms of maybe more military, we have the Quad Alliance and now AUKUS. So do you see maybe more of these smaller alliances forming going forward if China increases, and it has been
6: increasing its aggressiveness towards Taiwan? How do you see that playing out? I certainly think that creativity along those lines is something that many people will seek. Uh, the, the, the problem with today's conflicts, and particularly the conflicts with China, are that they really are diverse. You have um, You have aggressions uh, via cyber, you've got a space component, you have a maritime ground, air, the traditional geographic components, you certainly have an economic component, Um, you have an informational component, uh, sort of this idea of framing the narrative, telling the story, all of those um, represent different challenges. And they're not challenges, frankly, that NATO and other existing organizations have had to deal with in the past, particularly given the economic and market strength of China so I would envision that there will be really a myriad of different domains different kinds of activities where different players in the region and outside the region will have either interests that coincide or maybe no. on this one we're going to opt out and that will require flexible arrangements flex, flexible organizations some creativity I think um, that will allow uh, a nation or a um, Uh, private sector and public sector to play differing roles, and for those to come from bodies that exist, bodies that need modifications that already exist, and maybe even some new bodies and arrangements. All of the
5: sectors you mentioned kind of fall into China's unrestricted warfare, right? So, exactly. the 1999 two PLA generals wrote this book, and the whole kind of premise is to break a country from within, so that you don't even need to bring in your military might. And so, from the Chinese communist party perspective, it's kind of a really top-down approach where every single segment, company mm-hmm. is involved. But when it comes to, especially the U.S., defending against that, a lot of our departments don't actually communicate with each other and kind of miss that. So going forward, how can the U.S. defend against it before we even get to that military part?
6: Oh, well, you hit the nail on the head on that one. Um, it's not just that we don't communicate internally, but we have our authorities, our processes, our very institutions, uh, in, in many cases, uh, may even be legally prohibited from acting in concordance with one another. Certainly, we don't have the ability to to basically take the Chinese approach, which is not only whole of government and all of government, but all of private sector all of everything at my disposal, I'm going to basically do an all out, all fronts confrontation. You're exactly right. And this is our biggest challenge as a nation, and it's 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 frankly multiplied uh, once you add NATO and other nations to it. But one of the things I think that this administration and future administrations are going to have to do is really examine this all-out war, this all-out domain, and how we're going to have to change in order to, to confront that. And that will mean uh, reorganizing departments, new authorities, new technologies, um, and frankly, a heightened awareness every day, all day, that in fact, it's not the future war, it's the existing war. China is at war. Using these domains now, we, as you point out, we don't recognize it as war or conflict because it's in ways that we don't traditionally act um, in an aggressive national uh, manner.
0: And coming up, fighting a war without bullet or smoke. How should the U.S. react to Chinese aggression? And what changes are needed for a shift in Western perspective? More on that with Mary Beth Long after the break here on China In Focus. Welcome back to China In Focus. I'm Don Ma, sitting in for Tiffany. China is at war with the West, but much of the West says it doesn't see the situation as a war. In the second part of her interview, Mary Beth Long brought up some actionable steps for the U.S. to react as a whole nation while maintaining its values. Here's more.
5: Given that the U.S. and like-minded democratic free market countries can't use, say, unrestricted warfare right, against China, what can we do? You've mentioned some of them, but what would be some actionable steps that could be
6: implemented? You know, unrestricted warfare for us it creates this image of uh, uh, nuclear weapons and uh, indiscriminate bombings and um, and civilian casualties. Uh, first we've got to change our frame of mind. Um, and you touched upon it exactly, which is unrestricted warfare means all the tools, uh, everything from your creativity your belief in freedoms, your democratic institutions, your institutions of power, your institutions of military power, space, and across the board, a real re-examination of how those have to be put to task in preserving our democracy and in preserving and strengthening human rights worldwide. Um, So a, a, a mental change frankly has to occur first the second that must follow is we need to decide our private sector in many respects is the engine of our power it's our job creation it's our economic uh, government does not create jobs <laughs> governments spend monies our economic private sector is where m- most of our power as a nation uh, lies and it's it's it intrinsically clear tied to the fact that we are an open and free democracy with um, with capitalism at its core. We've got to make a decision whether having that separate and apart um, in the past has been verboten. It's been a line that we couldn't cross because that makes it a slave and a tool of the state. We have got to figure out um, where we're combating an, an adversary that has that as a tool of the state Is it still verboten, or are there encroachments? Are there ways in which we can harness the power of the private sector um, in order to protect the state, in order to protect religious freedom, in order to protect the West um, and the principles of democracy? I think the answer is yes, um, but it's going to take a, a, a tough dialogue here in the states, and then some legal and other bureaucratic changes.
5: And so on the point of maybe a mentality shift, Mm -hmm. what can the individual do to help? Because right now it seems, especially in terms of war, right? People think of it in terms of traditional. So no bombs are here, right? We're not seeing anything happening Yes. (laughs) So given that, but the Chinese regime has been attacking us for the past several decades through, say, cyber, even soft power domains like Hollywood. How can the individual then defend against this?
6: I think we need to adopt a mentality, frankly, that, um, and you touched upon it, the absence of armed conflict, the absence of having troops deployed overseas, shooting at someone, or bombing, or whatever you want to describe it as, is not peace. We are not at peace, and we need to throw that out, and a lot of our country is, is going through a lot of change internally, social change. And I think underlying that is a a bit of a presumption that we are in a time of peace and that um, there are fundamental changes that we can be examining now that we can build upon this peace in order to take a hard look at ourselves from a social, educational, and other perspective. Um, I, I think that is foundationally dangerous um, not saying that that process shouldn't happen, but we do need to understand that our ec- our economic power and our economy is at risk today. Our dominance in technology is at risk today. Um, in space, um, in artificial intelligence, the future is at risk today. And if we don't adopt the mentality that we are already in a conflict and we need to comport ourselves accordingly, which means hard decision, it may mean putting off some of the dialogue we're having internally um, that is causing us to be most divisive. Uh, it may mean you know, putting the divisiveness, whether it's political or social or religious or otherwise, in an appropriate box, fighting it out, no one's saying, to to oppress that or to even delay it, but to put it in a broader context of, we won't have that conversation in the future if we are fundamentally changed by an aggressive China, by authoritarian governments who do decide to have um, an open conflict with us, or if the basic human rights of the world are so threatened that we, as a leader of the of the free world, um, no longer have a role to play because everyone else or those who are critical to our existence have either succumbed to authoritarianism or succumbed to, uh, to a process in which we have very little influence or, or even leverage.
0: And that's all for today's China in Focus. I'm Don Ma. If you have any feedback on the show or have something you'd like to see us cover, send us an email at chinainfocus at ntd.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for watching. The
2: 2022 NTD 8th International Chinese Vocal Competition will be held from September 29th to October 2nd at the Merkin Hall of Kaufman Music Center in New York City. The competition is honored to have specially invited vocalists with the world-renowned Shen Yun Performing Arts to serve on its panel of judges. The gold award is $10,000. For more information, please visit vocal.ntdtv.com.